0: Lord Jesus, is, you know I've been following the things at Asbury this week and have been praying for revival here in Elkins. Lord, I pray that same prayer now as we come and we look at uh, godly marriage. Uh, and I pray for revival in our marriages. Lord, there are some that are clicking along pretty well. Uh, and we pray that you would just give them what they need, God, to go further up and further in. Lord, there are some that kind of look and go, is this thing dead? Like, we're just scared to call it that. Would you bring revival? Would you bring new life? Lord, wherever we are, our prayers for more. For more of you in our marriages, in our homes, in our families. Lord, that we would be made more like you, that our spouse would be made more like you. And that together the world would see what happens when two people in love with Jesus come together. The power that is behind that. So Lord, bring revival to our marriages, I pray. Wherever we may be, come and do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So a quick recap of where we've been. This is our our fourth week um, looking at marriages that make a difference. We believe that marriage is meant to be one of the most catalytic things in a culture. To, to change a culture either for good or for bad. And we know that God's desire is to use godly marriage to change our family for generations, to change our neighborhoods and our cultures for his glory and for their good. And so we believe if we're gonna have marriages that make a difference, there's there's five kind of foundational arenas that we need to invest in, that we need to grow in. And we've been looking at these. The first one that we looked at is expectations. We need to understand what our expectations are coming into any relationship, but especially in a marriage relationship. We need to to really grow in, in evaluating and communicating our expectations. Our expectations determine our actions and our reactions in any given situation. Are things going the way I thought they would? Are they going better? Are they going worse? This is what determines how we react and respond in a given relationship. So few of us are actually even aware of what our expectations are, let alone our spouses knowing what our expectations are. This is that first foundational arena that we're we're gonna keep pointing back to every week, because I think that this is the the linchpin that so much of this either rises or falls on. We have to grow in our ability to evaluate and communicate our expectations. Next, we looked at roles. Uh, We spent two weeks here looking at the role of a husband and the role of a wife. We believe two complementary, equal but different pieces that come together and make something more then the two could be apart from each other. But understanding, uh, we have to understand that the way we view our roles, our expectations for that relationship determines the health of our relationships. And so we have to be on that same page. We have to have similar expectations for this is where you fit in our marriage and this is where I fit in our marriage. If there's confusion there, there's going to be chaos that comes out of it. Does this make sense so far, church? You remember this? A week ago was a long time, I get it. This week, we'll be looking at conflict, the role of conflict in our marriages, next week finances, and then intimacy. I believe this, if we're going to have marriages that make a difference, we have to learn to handle conflict in a healthy way. Must. It is a non-negotiable. We have to learn to handle conflict in a healthy way. And so what I want to do this morning is is twofold. First, I want to set some expectations for conflict in our relationships. And I said in the very first week, like, listen, if you're here and you're not married, a lot of this stuff applies to any relationship. Today really does especially. This kind of, this, it's not just only in marriages we have to have healthy conflict. It's in every single relationship that we have. Obviously, some of the things we're going to talk about are very specific to marriage, but this one kind of transcends marriage pretty easily. So I want to set some expectations for conflict in our relationships, and then I want to give some helpful tools for healthy conflict, especially in marriage. Some things that, if we keep these in mind, some, some guardrails maybe in our relationships, that will help move us toward healthy conflict. Does this make sense? Okay. So first, setting some expectations for conflict in relationships. I keep using that word expectations. Maybe you've caught on a little bit. I think they're very important. The basic cause for conflict is unmet or conflicting expectations. Two people in relationship that thought things were gonna go two different ways, both can't be right. They expected the day to go one way or another. They expected the, the trajectory of their relationship to head one way or another. They expected the other person to do something or to not do something. And when that expectation isn't met, conflict arises. When two people have two different expectations, conflict arises. You get in the same car with somebody else. One of you thinks we're going to Miami. The other thinks New York City. Conflict will arise. We can't do both. We have to figure this out. The goal in any relationship, especially a marriage relationship, isn't no conflict. It's healthy conflict. This is... This sounds like you hear it and you go, duh, but this is really when we have to camp out on here for a minute. And listen, I wish there was a less confusing way to say it. I see the double negative, but if you take that out, it becomes the goal is conflict. No, that we're not aiming for conflict, but our expectation shouldn't be no conflict because that is impossible. We will never see that this side of heaven. The goal should be healthy conflict. Conflict is to be expected. And this, I would love to come up here and go, hey, you're only about a year away from just no conflict and it's smooth sailing. Is that anyone's experience in here? Especially in their marriage? We got it, like we figured it out and we never fight? Of course not. It is unavoidable. It is natural. We are smashing two sinful human lives together. Conflict is going to happen because none of us is perfect yet. And even if one of us had reached it and we were perfect, the other one still is on the way. (laughs) Conflict is natural. We should honestly, and if this sounds a little dire, I understand, we should expect conflict, but we should expect to be growing and dealing with it in a healthy way. Conflict is not a bad thing. It should never happen. Like, God desires to use conflict 59 different times in the New Testament alone, there are what I call one another verses. These one another verses, actually 59 commands for one another to be patient with one another, to be gentle with one another, to carry one another's burdens, all of these things. Every one of those means there's gonna be conflict and your natural way is gonna be do what's best for you. But God is continually calling us, hey, in those times, be gracious with one another. It is going to be unnatural. It's going to be something you have to learn and to practice. But 59 different times, he says, when conflict arises, be very careful how you walk with one another. The reason that he had to keep saying it again and again and again is because we so naturally find ourselves in conflict. Those one another verses are, here's how to navigate it in a healthy way. I'm so thankful that you will not find a passage in Scripture that says, get to a point where you never experience conflict. Like, you you will not find it. God understands, again, we are sinful and imperfect, and He is gracious and patient with us. And so He says, when you find yourself in it, here's some practices, here's some tools, here's some commands to deal with it in a healthy way. But he doesn't say, if you're in conflict, how dare you? Tisk tisk. He knows it's gonna happen. But he says, move toward handling it in a healthy way. Uh, many of you have probably heard me counsel you with this. I use this passage all the time. Romans chapter 12, 18. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He goes, look, we, we want to be at peace with everyone, but I also understand this. You can only control so much. That other person may just want to fight. They, like, you, it may not be in your control to live at peace. If he just said, live at peace, period, the end, and don't mess it up, that's a ton of weight to carry. I, I can't handle that. That's completely out of my control. But instead what he says is, look, conflict is going to come up. And as far as it depends on you, choose to live at peace. There's no shame. How dare you be in conflict in the first place? Look, conflict is to be expected. It's natural. We are sinful and we are human, but let's move toward peace. Does this make sense, church? In in Ephesians chapter 4, another one here. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He goes, look, this whole anger thing can lead to some some really damaging things. Giving the devil a foothold and some of the stuff that we go, what What does that even mean? But I'm so thankful that he says, how dare you even be angry? He doesn't say that, right? Look, situations are going to come up and you're going to be hurt. You're going to be angry. He doesn't say, quit it. He says, look, that's a natural state. We're going to be offended. We're going to be hurt. There's going to be conflict. But don't let that lead you into sin. Just the fact that there is conflict, that there is anger, isn't sin. What we do with that, we can choose to damage and to hurt, or we can choose to deal with it in a healthy way, but just the fact that there is conflict is not sin." Does this make sense? This is hard. We're kind of walking a fine line here because, again, I'm not saying let's aim for conflict or who cares if there's conflict, but we have to expect that there's going to be and prepare ourselves to handle it in a healthy way. The goal isn't no conflict, but healthy conflict. Conflict is an opportunity for growth and for health. As Kim and I do premarital counseling, which I've, I've told you guys in the past couple weeks, that's where a lot of this comes from—is the premarital counseling stuff that we do. Some of the ones that we're scared for the most, Kim, what, what do people tell us so that we kind of step back and go, ooh, "Uh oh." We never fight. We never fight. When we, when we sit down with typically a younger couple and they're like, we're so excited, we're gonna get married, it's gonna be awesome. And we're like, cool, let's talk about conflict. And they go, pass, we never fight. We go, ooh, this is a ticking time bomb. Because typically what that means is this, they've bottled and avoided. It's not like, it, listen, if they've been together for two weeks, someone has stepped on someone else's toes. It's happened, we are human beings. And the fact that no conflict has ever come up doesn't mean they've got it figured out. It typically means they've, they're just trying to not look directly at it. Let's just focus on the positive and oh, oh, but she's so dreamy, this is how men talk. It's, she's so wonderful. I, I'm concerned for those people because they don't actually have the tools. What they're doing is typically avoiding the conflict, which does not lead to healthy conflict resolution. The little things become big things when we do what's easier for today instead of what's healthier for a lifetime. When we avoid those little sources of conflict, they don't just go away. They compile and they add up. We can stuff them down, we can try not to look at them, but they continue to grow until the little things become big things when we just choose to do what's easier for today. Let's just ignore the fight, ignore the conflict, instead of what's healthier for a lifetime. So the first expectation, the goal isn't no conflict, it's healthy conflict. The second expectation is this, the goal is not to be right. When conflict comes up, and it it does come up, it will come up, the goal is not to be right. I see some of you chuckling and laughing and kind of looking at the person next to you. Listen, rarely is one person ever right and one person ever wrong. Like just 100% your fault, 0% my fault. That is the absolute unicorn of conflict. Even if the other person was 100% wrong to start, I'm going to have some kind of sinful reaction typically coming back at them. We love to view things in terms of They're wrong, and I'm right, because it makes me feel better. But that is absolutely destructive in a relationship. The point is not to be right. Because listen, if my goal in conflict is to be right, what does that by nature make my spouse? Wrong. It's a very adversarial relationship. Now, the only way I can get back to feeling good about myself is to make you feel worse about yourself. I now enter conflict trying to prove to you just how wrong and bad you already are. That is not a recipe for healthy relationship. I've beat them down to the point where everything's going great. No, it isn't. When we come into conflict and the goal is to be right, our goal is actually to beat our spouse or anyone we're in relationship with down. And that is not a winning formula. This, this even came up last week, if you guys heard about it a little bit. We were doing some of the what-ifs uh, when it came to authority and submission, and what's some of the fear for men to take that role of leadership or for women to, to submit themselves to their husband's leadership. We were just trying to get it out there. What's some fear? And if you remember, one of the men said, when it came to taking on that kind of mantle of leadership, they said, but what if I'm wrong and she's right? And there was that, because obviously we could never live together again. Like, wouldn't that just light a match and blow the entire thing up? Because again, we tend to come into conflict. We, we couldn't decide what way to say or way to go. I said, hey, follow me. And if I'm wrong and she's right, this whole thing is over. Every conflict from now on is like, but you were wrong and I was right. And when we start to view things in this way, it becomes incredibly destructive. The point is not to be right the point in conflict, in a healthy way, is to be heard and to to understand. Notice I didn't say to be understood because can I control if you understand me? No. But can I come into conflict with my goal being to better understand you? Yes. Not to be right, not to overcome, but to hear and to understand. Look, obviously, this didn't go the way that we thought. We're button heads. We're, we're at odds here. Help me understand where you're coming from because I, I really can't see it right now. Help me understand. The goal is to hear and to understand, not to be right. God uses conflict to sharpen us and to make us look more like Him. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. If you've ever been to a men's conference, men, you have heard this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is like the rallying cry. Whenever men get together, it's like, well, obviously we're going to challenge each other and we're going to, there's going to be sparks flying everywhere. Maybe this is why me, most men don't show up to our men's things, but, but this, this is biblical and true. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is God's goal for marriage. Remember we said in the very beginning when we were looking at expectations, God did not create marriage for you to be happy, but for you to be holy. I do believe that as you're both moving towards holiness, you will find this depth of joy and happiness in your relationship, but not because everything is smooth and awesome, but because both of you are becoming more like Jesus. Listen, one of the biggest weapons he has for this is using conflict the stuff that we would love to hide begins to come out in conflict. Have you ever, you ever found yourself in a fight with somebody and you said something that you're going, oh, I can't believe that actually came out. You've never done it. Me and Natalie are the only ones. Thank you. It had to come out so that it could be dealt with. And God knows this. And so he uses relationship, he uses conflict to bring those things to the surface, not to hurt us, not to hurt the other person, but so that they can actually be dealt with and we can begin to move forward to look more like him. Marriage, if we're honest, I, there's been a couple times when I've said, look, if you're not married, I, I'm making this sound pretty scary. Marriage is a refiner's fire. There is, there is pressure and there is heat because you now live with this person. You share a bed with this person. There there is no, well, I'm going back to my house and you go to your house. Like it's the same house. Marriage is meant to be a refiner's fire, refining us for our good, removing the impurities so that we can be what we were made to be. But I don't ever look at a hunk of metal put into a furnace and go, I'll bet it's really thankful right now. This is exactly what it wanted to do today. Like it's a painful process. There is conflict, there are sparks. But this is how God uses marriage. Taking two sinful lives and putting them together so that they become something new. Do we have any like chemistry fans in here? A few, and you guys all piled together, thank you for that. What do you call it when you take two atoms and you smash them together? Fusion, okay? It's a chemical process, fusion taking two different things and fusing them together. What do we use fusion for? Explosions, we make bombs out of it. Anything else we use fusion for? We also power our cities with it. When you take two different things and you smash them together, you get this whole new thing, but there is a ton of power behind it. And that can go one of two ways. We can power our cities, and it can be one of the greatest resources we have, or it can be one of the most destructive things nature has ever seen, nuclear bombs. Listen, marriage is kind of fusion. It is smashing two things together. There is a ton of heat. There is a ton of energy. We get to decide whether that is for our good and the good of those around us, or for our destruction and the destruction of those around us. Does this make sense church? (coughs) Now remember the goal is not no conflict, but healthy conflict. Using that energy for something good, not allowing it to to destroy us. So what I wanna do now is give you some, some helpful tools for healthy conflict. These are not rules. These are not like laws that if you don't do some of these things or you see this differently, like obviously you're in sin. That is not this. This is for 21 years of marriage for my wife and I, for things that we have stolen from other people that have been helpful, for things that we've seen other people struggle with. We found these tools to be helpful. And so normally what I try to do when I create a message is I think about a rifle. Like, One really powerful point that just drives home, this is more a shotgun. A lot of birdshot coming out, and so there's gonna be different, like, different, I don't know what you said, different tools that kind of come for different things, and some might hit something, some might not. If some of these tools you're already using and doing well, cool. Look for the ones that go, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if we do that. I don't even know if I like that. These are meant to be more conversation starters for you and your spouse to begin to use conflict in a healthy way. So the first one is this. Communicate, communicate, communicate. If our slides got a little messed up, that's okay, that one's coming. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Have you ever heard this? Well, I shouldn't have to tell him. He should know what he did wrong. Here's a secret, he doesn't. We, we have this, this thing in our head that goes, I shouldn't have to tell them they hurt me, they should know. I shouldn't have to tell them that I'm experiencing conflict. If they really loved me, they would know. Most often, they don't, and they can't. It is our job to communicate in conflict. We have to learn to talk to one another about what went right, what went wrong, where our expectations were, were let down, where, man, this was even better than I thought. Like we have to learn to communicate. So often what we're saying in those times is if you really loved me, you would be a mind reader. Ladies, he is not. Men, most of the time, we don't even know we're in conflict. All I know is I'm not okay. I'm probably mad. That's the extent of it. We need help to communicate, communicate, communicate. Listen, how often do you not even know why you're mad? Like you're just, you're, you know, we say, oh, someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed, huh? Like, I don't even know why I'm mad. How would I expect you to? It, it's a fool's errand. We have to learn to communicate and to talk about conflict. Again, avoiding it, just pretending like it isn't there and hoping it goes away is a fool's errand. We have to communicate, to talk. We have to identify how you and your spouse handle conflict. What I mean by that is this. Some people deal with conflict in a very head-on way. I see something is wrong and my first step is towards it. Hey, what is this? What are we going to do about this? This is broken. This needs fixed. Some people's first step is away from conflict. I just need some time to process. I, need, I don't even know what's happening. I need to step back and figure it out. Some people, it's almost a sideways step or like to dodge conflict. Nope, I didn't even see it. I don't even know what's happening. Let's just be cool, you and me. Let's pretend like nothing happened. We have to learn how how I handle conflict, how my spouse handles conflict, because otherwise what often happens, my my wife and I, I deal with conflict very head on, very directly. I see something and within minutes, I'm having a conversation about it. If not, it's like somebody lit a fuse and I'm just waiting for it to blow up. I have to deal with it quickly. Kim takes that step away. She needs that time to process. She needs to figure out what am I even feeling and what is even happening. so do you know what this looks like when two adults deal with conflict very differently and, you, and something happens in their marriage? A weird game of tag. It looks like me chasing around going, talk to, me, talk to 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 me. And she's just going, give me space, give me space, give me space. Well, until she goes, fine, let's deal with it. And I'm like, whoa, let's take some space. <laughs> like, maybe we need a minute. Like, but it, there's this horrible game of tag that we found ourselves in for years, Because we didn't understand, I always looked and went, she's just running away from the problem. And she was like, he's just trying to throw gas on this fire. Neither one of us just understood. These are both ways, like we naturally deal with this. We can't change it, how we deal with them. But we didn't know how to talk about it. We we didn't know how to come together. My expectation was that she handles it the same way I do. We're gonna fight, it's gonna be hot and heavy and over in about five minutes. She was thinking let's just drag this out for weeks. Right? Okay. <laughs> Until we begun to understand like, not only you handle conflict differently than me, but your way's not bad, neither is mine. It's just how we're wired. So how do we begin to do this together? How do we, when we see something come up going, hey, some, I typically initiate and go, hey, I don't know what that was something just happened between the two of us and on my good healthy days I go I know you need some space so why don't we take a couple minutes just to give you some time to process and then can we sit down in like 10 minutes or sometimes it's bigger can we sit down in like an hour or hey tomorrow we really need to sit down and talk about this I know you need space and you know that I can't just wait indefinitely I will explode we have to figure out a way to come together in this. Does this make sense? So that now we can actually begin to give each other what we need and deal with the conflict, not avoid it, not just keep making it worse on top of it, but we actually kind of have a shared understanding of how we deal. Our expectations now begin to align. She knows I'm gonna take a step toward it, and I know she's gonna need some time and some space, and we can begin to make a plan. One of the the best tools that I've found for this is a a tool called the SDI. Don't worry too much about it. If you've heard a lot of us talk in the church about red, green, and blue personalities, that is this tool. Uh, And one of the things that it does is it helps us get a grip on how do I handle conflict. When something goes wrong, what's my first step? And, And especially when spouses come and take it together, we start to go, oh, that's why you do that oh, that's why you do that. That's why I do that. And it begins to give us some, some very practical tools to move forward with this. Um, this spring, I'm, I don't have a date yet, but we're gonna be putting on a, an SDI training um, here at our church. I'm working with some other churches to see if they wanna come and join us, which is why I don't have a, an exact date, but there will be more coming out. If you've never been through this training, I would really encourage you to do it. it, it it's a whole day training. It's about a six-hour training, Uh, session on a Saturday, but I have never heard people regret it at the end of it. Especially when two uh, married people come, they go, now I start to see that's why he does this, that's why she does that. And it can be a really, really helpful tool. So if you're hearing me talk about this and you're going, yeah, I wish I understood more, but I'm not kinda sure what the next step is, you'll hear more about that assessment coming out. And I would just really encourage you uh, to take advantage of it, uh, if at all possible, on that date. So we have to identify how we handle conflict. Some very practical stuff here. Be very careful with never and always. You ever have that? You always do that. You ever had somebody tell you, you never do this. What's the first place your mind goes to? That one time I did it. You're wrong. Never and always, catch this, always move us away from the original conflict. Because now it becomes, I'm just kind of bolstering my side. I'm, I'm, I'm using hyperbole to make my argument feel stronger because I'm trying to overcome you. I'm trying to be right in those times, and the best way to do it is to use big words like always and never. It's like, if you ever had somebody come to you and go, hey, a bunch of us have been talking, and we all agree, you do this. And you go, who is we? What is happening? And it, This is that same idea. You always do this. The first thing I'm gonna do is start thinking about all the times I never did that. And we completely miss each other. We start arguing about all the wrong things. Now listen, it doesn't say never use always and never. There might be some times when like, hey, I really mean this. I've, I've never seen you do this and I really need that from you. But just be very careful with those terms. They tend to be incendiary terms because it's me trying to overcome you and I'm using these absolutes to try to do it. It moves the the conversation or typically the argument away from where it really needs to be. So be very careful with never and always. Be very careful with tone and body language. No, I'm fine, go ahead. Go enjoy time with your friends. What message am I sending there? Mixed messages happen all the time. Sometimes, look, we're just not aware of what our face is doing. I I mentioned this to Kim yesterday. Like, man, sometimes my brain needs to put my face on notice. Like, we're happy. Be happy. We're mad. Be mad. Like, whatever it is, I send conflicting tones, conflicting messages all the time. Anywhere confusion is, conflict gets worse. Sometimes we're just scared to say, like, I'm kind of hurt by that. I'm upset by that. We're, we're scared of where it might lead and so we use passive aggressive. Uh, it never ends well. We have to be so careful about our tone and our body language. For, for Kim and I, I'm, I'm just gonna continue to use us as an example here. And again, many of you may have heard this stuff before. Uh, where, where Kim grew up, when she was in trouble, her dad was a lecturer. I happen to have the same flaw. Where, When I like come into a situation and something's not going right, I tend to go, okay, look, here's what needs to happen and here, and immediately I am a parent speaking down to their child in Kim's eyes. I'm trying to take the emotion out of things and go, let's just calm it down. But for her, because of her past, my tone and my body language set things off. And listen, we spent about 10 years with me just going, what the heck, I was trying not to yell and what, I wasn't aware of the effect that my tone and my body language had, and it always escalated conflict instead of bringing it down. It wasn't my intention, but it's what naturally happened because I had no clue the effect that it was having. Again, communicate, communicate, communicate. We communicate so much through posture and all of this that we're not even aware of it sometimes. We have to grow in our understanding, like what am I really communicating right now in this situation. And to have conversations, what did that sound like to you? I was trying to bring it down, but it seemed like things got way worse. Yeah, yeah, the tone you were talking to me with just sets me off. Okay, I can try to change that. Learn to love the phrase, this made me feel blank. So often we come in and we go, you did this, and I know what you were doing, and and we start to tell people what their motives were. That has never gone well once in the history of human beings. But instead, to approach something, and instead of me telling you what you did wrong, to say, hey, when you said this, that really made me feel small. That really hurt me. When, When this thing happened, I'm not telling you why you did it. I'm, not, I'm just saying, when you said this, when you, when, you, when you didn't show up, I really thought you were going to, and, and that hurt me. That made me feel like I couldn't count on you. Like, wh- now we can begin to talk about, like I'm coming from a place of vulnerability. Instead of attacking, I'm putting the walls down and I'm going, hey, here's how that made me feel. Now we can begin to actually have a conversation about it. Now it's no longer me trying to overcome you. It's me trying to tell you, here's the impact uh, that your actions had. And listen, this goes, this doesn't just have to be in conflict. Hey, when you said this, it made me feel great. Who doesn't love to hear that and go, okay, yeah, I need to say that more often. I need to do things like that more often. Hey, when you did this, like, I just, I really felt small. We love each other. Like, that's why we got married. Something in us is going, that, I don't want that. Okay, how can I change it? We're not gonna do it perfectly, but it begins to lead down that road. Is this making sense, Church? Okay. I kinda touched on this one already. Handle everyday sources of conflict quickly and directly. This is always, again, when we talk about, when we talk with uh, premarital counseling with engaged couples, and we mentioned things like socks on the floor or dishes in the sink or garbage. They're like, we're never gonna fight over that stuff. We love each other. When you trip over her shoes for the hundredth time, it starts to become a big deal. When How can he just walk out of his underwear and leave it in the moment? Who does he think comes and cleans it up? The underwear fairy? It's me. Like these things that we can sit and laugh about and they're seemingly small, but five years in, it's a powder keg. If she leaves her shoes in the middle of the floor one more time, like we start to have the, like it becomes this disproportional reaction to this small thing, but it's because we didn't deal with it when it was still small. We allow it to grow and to fester and these seemingly silly things become these powder kegs waiting to explode one day, and typically the other person is overgoing. going, what, it, it's just shoes, what is the big deal? Yeah, but I've been dealing with shoes for the last five years and trying to bite my tongue, and because it feels like the right thing to do, because I don't want to fight, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but all we do is let it fester and grow, instead of just having the conversation that goes, hey, your underwear on the floor is gross, Will you could you just maybe make it into the hamper? You know, or like, hey, when you just put your dishes in the sink, it would really help me out if you just rinsed it and put it in the dishwasher or what again, these are very, very small things, but after years they become very, very big things. If we would begin to deal with them quickly and directly we wouldn't have these things that just linger for years and years and years. Now again, your spouse isn't gonna become the perfect version of themselves you want them to be. They're still gonna have things they do, but it's not all gonna be piling up on top of the things that have been happening for years. We we can kinda take some of the fuel out of the rocket by dealing with these things quickly and directly. I said this before, little things become big things when we do what's easier for today instead of what's healthier for a lifetime. These tiny little conflicts, if we let them sit, they will fester. A couple more. Learn to ask, What is my part in this conflict? I love to ask, What was she thinking? How could she do that again? She knew what that would do. Like, that's where I like to spend my time mentally, rehearsing the other person and what they did wrong, and how dumb they were for doing it. The more you rehearse it in your head, the dumber the other person gets, and the smarter you always get. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It is a completely unhealthy cycle. But instead, taking a step back and going, okay, how could I have handled that better? What, What did I do that led to this conflict that we're in right now? We love, we naturally focus on what the other person did and we tend to blind ourselves because we go 100% wrong, 100% right. That is not the truth of where we live. What was it that I did? What was it in my response that escalated things? Did I show grace? Did I, maybe I was the one that initiated the whole thing anyway. I had a bad day somewhere else and I just came home and, and blew up at home. What was my part? in the conflict. Rob Reamer in his book Soul Care talks about this a little bit and and he uses a phrase, he says, own 100% of your 5%. And what he means by that is this, again, no one is always 100% wrong, 0%. We share the blame somewhere. The other person may have initiated it but the way that I responded was not healthy. Maybe I'm 5% wrong, typically closer to 50. But whatever it was, whatever percentage was mine to own, whatever things I did to make things worse, whatever it might be, I'm gonna own 100% of that. I shouldn't have responded in the way that I did. You know what, I had a bad day at work and I should not have come home and talked to you like that. I'm gonna own my part. I'm not gonna come in and go, and how dare you say that to me? My job in conflict is to own my part. And then this next part, be quick to say I'm sorry. Husbands, remember when we talked about the role of authority and leadership and how fun it was because you always get your way in everything? Do you remember when we talked? Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. The role of authority is leading as Jesus leads, self sacrificial, leading by example. Husbands, we need to set the tone. Not to say you should be the only one apologizing. Wives, I'm not trying to let you off the hook necessarily, but men, this is a part of leading in your home. We should be leading the way. You know what? I'm sorry. Again, the way that I responded, I'm not gonna apologize for the whole thing and go, hey, it was all my fault, and this isn't about being fake. This and this and this that I did was wrong. And even though you're going to have a little voice in your head that goes, but I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't done this. Like, keep that part to yourself. We work on that personally. Do some journaling. But in your relationship with your wife, I did this and this. I'm going to own it, and I'm sorry. That probably made you feel small. That probably hurt your feelings. That probably made you feel unseen, and I'm sorry. The natural response for that, listen, that's real hard to fight against. That's real hard to cuss out when somebody comes and goes, I'm recognizing this was mine and I'm sorry. It diffuses, and it becomes easier. This is never an easy step, but it becomes easier for your wife to go, I never should have said this, and I shouldn't have responded that way, and I'm sorry. And we're diffusing, and now we can actually deal with what happened. Somebody has to be first, and listen, again, wives, don't think, I never have to say sorry, it's great. But husbands, this is on us. This is one of those things we'll be accountable for one day. What did you do with conflict? How did you lead your family in conflict? Were you humble? Did you come first to say sorry? Don't sleep apart out of anger. This one seems a little counterintuitive because every movie or TV show you've ever seen, oh, he's in the doghouse, he's sleeping on the couch, he's... Don't get in the habit it doesn't lead anywhere good. I get it, like I I truly understand we're still mad at each other and it's bedtime. I don't necessarily wanna crawl into the same bed as this person right now. I'm still hurt, I'm still whatever. But here's the tone that we set. We set the expectation that when one of us is hurt, when we're angry, when we're not on the same page, we move apart from each other. We go our separate ways. I'm going to sleep over here, and you're going to sleep over there. And, and someone always has to earn their way back into the bedroom. That's a dangerous place to be. We can disagree. We, we can be hurt. We can have those things. But to then set the, the expectation that when that happens, we break relationship. We distance ourselves. We walk away from intimacy. That's an incredibly dangerous path to set yourselves on. Because pretty quickly the couch isn't far enough away. He needs a hotel room. He needs to go live with his mom. He needs to and it escalates quicker than we want it to. It is a dangerous thing. Now, again, these are not rules, and if this has ever happened, you're in sin. And you're like, nope, you won't find a Bible verse saying this. I'm simply saying it from someone who's walked with a lot of people. This sets a very dangerous precedent. And it's one worth fighting for. Even when. We don't see eye to eye. Even when we're hurt, we're still in this together. And yeah, I mean, there might be a huge gap between us because I'm over on the very edge of the bed like this because I don't even want to feel her heat coming over to me right now. But I ain't leaving the bed. Like, we, we have to have this kind of, like, fight within us. Like, I'm, I will not let this separate us. I will not let this come between us. We don't have it figured out yet, but I will not let this separate us. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We read that passage earlier in Ephesians 4 where Paul said that. And listen, some people take this very literally to mean you cannot go to bed until you've resolved it. Things don't tend to get better after midnight. When we just keep arguing, we don't get more rational the less sleep we get, right? This isn't saying you cannot close your eyes and go to sleep until you've got everything figured out. What this is saying is don't let it fester. We need to be moving towards each other and resolving this. Don't just let things sit and fester because it doesn't get better. You know the whole thing of like time heals all wounds? No, it doesn't. Like try cutting yourself and then just waiting and seeing what happens. It begins to fester and get infected. We have to deal with things in a healthy way for things to be healed. We have to move toward one another. Do not wait. Don't just let things sit. It's not gonna get better in the morning. The hurt is still there. We have to begin taking steps. And listen, there comes a point, some of us are night owls and some of us whatever, but there comes a point when nothing good is gonna happen after this, and we need to call a timeout. We'll come back in the morning, we'll try to figure this out tomorrow for now, we need to just go to bed because things are going to get worse. If we continue, that is a rational and healthy step to take. But when are we going to deal with this then tomorrow? When are we going to come back to this because we can't just let it sit? These are either the deepest things you guys have ever heard and you're all, all struck and completely silent because of it, or I've lost you. A couple more. We don't say it's OK. We say, I forgive you. Here's the thing. We save it's okay for things that really are okay. When somebody comes and goes, oh man, like when I said this, like, that might have hurt your feelings, and I, I'm sorry, you know, it's okay, I didn't even notice it. There really was no offense. What you did was okay, it didn't offend me. We will not say, hey, so I got real mad and I cussed you out the other night, I'm sorry. It's okay, because guess what, no it ain't. It's not okay. When we do hurt one another, it isn't okay. But I can choose to forgive you. I'm not going to lie to you just to like minimize it and try to make it go away. It's fine, it's fine. I just, oh, it's okay typically means I don't want to talk about it. Instead, when somebody comes and says, hey, I'm sorry for this, do the bold thing. Look them in the eye and say, I forgive you. What you did wasn't okay. But I forgive you. And listen, I've made mistakes too, and I hope someone's going to look me in the eye and say, I forgive you. It's okay, and I forgive you are two very different statements. This one took from the, from the Tonys, Steve and Christine, and many of you have heard this from them before too. To decide beforehand how you're going to handle conflict involving in-laws and families. The the Tonys had a very clear rule that they had set up for their family that I think is ingenious. Again, not a scriptural law, but it makes a lot of sense. I don't ever put myself between my wife and her family. She doesn't put herself between me and my family. That's a losing proposition because in the end of the day, mom will always be mom. And those things that you said about her because we were mad at her... In the morning, I'm gonna wake up and I'm not gonna be mad at mom anymore and I'm gonna be like, you don't even like my mom. What? She is a saint. Like, When it comes to delivering bad news, hey, we were gonna go on vacation with them and something changed and we have to tell them we can't go on vacation anymore, I'm not gonna say, hey, Kim, will you call my mom and will you tell her we can't go? That's my job, because that's my mom. And guess who mom's gonna love tomorrow? Me. If we play this wrong, guess who mom could have beef with for the next 10 years? Her. Because she kept her son from going on vacation with it, whatever it might be. We don't do Thanksgiving and Christmas with our families anymore. They live too far away, and it's nuts. So we've just picked. We're doing one or the other. I call my parents, and I say, hey, we're going to be up for Thanksgiving. We're not going to be able to do Christmas. And they're disappointed in there, but I'm going to deal with it because they will forgive me, and we will move forward I don't put Kim in that situation, nor do I call her parents and let them down gently. Your folks, you call them. Like this keeps so much conflict out of the way between the two of us. And now her family doesn't like look poorly on me because I kept them from, they're disappointed, but they move forward because that's their daughter and the same thing with me when we start to get that confused this whole family dynamic can get really really tricky so if there's bad news to be delivered listen this is this is just my hard-fought counsel to you you deliver it to your family your spouse deliver it to theirs like that's it's just the best way that I've ever seen Bryce, can yes add to that? please um, Right. Yeah. Right. We speak about our spouse to our family? Yeah. Yeah. This is something that th- there's a couple different arenas where this can play out, but like, yeah, Kim makes me mad, and I call my mom, and I'm like, you wouldn't believe what she said to Mama's little boy, and she wouldn't like. <laughs> I actually do call myself some that sometimes because Kim hates it, but. Everybody. <laughs> we all yeah. talk about it, and we all hate it. <laughs> oh, you it's. All. It's what my Siri calls me. <laughs> but but, but for, for me to call my mom and to complain about my wife, well guess what, tomorrow Kim and I are going to figure some things out. Rarely do I have the presence of mind to call my mom and go, "Hey, she said she was sorry for the whole thing." My mom's like, they're still fighting about that thing two years later. You know And I, she feels like she has to defend me. And all. It is a horrible position to put each other in. Like, be very careful how you talk about your spouse to other people. There's there's actually a couple different really dangerous paths that it can lead down, but one of them, especially with something as close-knit as family, is again, you do not want to place your spouse between you and your family or the other way around. It, It is a really, really dangerous place to be. With that, a united front. This is the idea of, again, like this comes in with parenting. This comes in with dealing with families or friends or, hey, we were going to go to this dinner party and Kim was just having a bad day and was like, you know what? Like, I just can't do it. I just can't go to the dinner party. Here's the easy way to handle it. Hey, Shelton, we were going to come, but Kim isn't feeling good. And so she said we can't. Like, to throw her completely under the bus because I get to save face, it's a really natural thing, and it's super dangerous. Instead, hey, we can't make it. Something has come up. I'm sorry, but we're just not able to. Uh, With with parenting, like, listen, we still do the it's okay with me, if it's okay with your mom thing, like, whatever. Like, we tell our kids, like, we're a team in this. But there's times when we kind of go behind closed doors, and we're like, how do we even feel about that? I don't even know what to do with that. And we were like, we don't see it the same, and we gotta come to this thing, and I don't get to come to them and go, hey kids, um, I wanted to let you do that, but your mom has decided it wasn't good. We decided this isn't healthy for you. We decided, like, you will save yourself so much time and headache down the road, by, by having that little hard conversation now, as compared to letting that separation begin to build in. When your friends and family start looking at your spouse as the one holding you back and keeping you from doing these things, this little bit of animosity starts to be built up there and it gets really difficult. Now every time your spouse is in the room with them, you do not want it. A united front is incredibly important. Finally, this, this is the last one. Go to each other first. What I mean by that is this. Here's a really easy explanation, but it's not the only one. Wives, don't call your mom again, kind of, and complain about your husband, especially when your husband doesn't even know there's a problem yet. Far too often, we get offended, and instead of going to that person, again, this transcends just marriage, but instead of going to that person and saying, hey, this hurt me, we turn and we try to get some other people on our side, because it makes us feel like we're coming from a place of strength, these people agree with me, my mom's always gonna take my side, she's a safe one to call. And we go to other people and we kind of get a team together before we go to our spouse. And that puts them in a really difficult situation instead of respecting them enough to go, hey, I don't even know if you know it, but when you did this, it really made me feel this way. And listen, there's room for counsel because maybe your spouse goes, I didn't do that. That never happened. I don't care how you felt. I don't like, maybe things do not go well. And you need to go to someone who is a wise counselor and, Not to just vent, because I'm so mad. Venting is not a biblical thing. Well, it is. It's called gossip. Seeking counsel is going, will you help me go back to them in a healthier way? I went to them and and it didn't work. Maybe I said something wrong. Maybe I didn't know the best way to bring it to them. Will you help me figure out a way to bring it to them? Always moving back towards your spouse. It's, counter, it's counterintuitive because it feels so much better to get some people on your side, but it is so incredibly dangerous. God's design is for us always to be moving back toward one another. Conflict happens and the temptation is to turn away. And those one another verses, the, all the passages about marriage is always how do we come back together? We need to be moving toward our spouse. So we're gonna, I'm gonna invite the music team to come up. I gotta close this here. We're going to sing a a song called, yeah, Graves into Garden. And it's because this whole thing, we tend to look at conflict as a very bad thing, something to be avoided. If there's conflict, it's because something's gone horribly wrong, and the good days are the days we just never have conflict. But listen, that's not how God has designed us to work. He desires to use conflict to bring life where there was death to help us reset expectations and be able to come together where before we were just missing each other. And so as we sing this song, I want you to think about your relationship with your spouse, or again, if you're not married, with with some friends and family, where maybe they're a little contentious. And instead, instead of thinking, how do I just make this stop? Lord, how might you be using this to bring some stuff to the surface so that it can be dealt with and we can move to new levels of life and health that we haven't known before. Does that make sense, church? Let's go ahead and stand as we prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, it is so natural to view conflict as this bad thing to be avoided, to, to view it as the other person's fault and whatever those kind of natural defense mechanisms we have are. May we instead be very attentive to your word, to the one another commands that you've given Lord, to be vulnerable with those we're in relationship with instead of defensive. To move toward one another, to seek love and peace and unity, God, even in times that we're hurt. May you bring new things, God, into our lives as we follow you in this area. As I prayed at the beginning of the the message, may you bring revivals into our marriages and our relationships as we seek to follow you in them. Be glorified, God, even through the conflict that we have with one another. May the world see the unity of your Holy Spirit in us and know that we've been called by you through it. In Jesus' name, amen.